I always know I have at least one minute to pull it together. That's my fault, Stephen. Sorry. I bet you heard everything really well today, huh? <laughs> I turned that speaker earlier in the week and I forgot to turn it back. That's my fault. Sorry. <laughs> Peter's got some splaining to do. Here, I put a little southern accent into it this morning. He's got some splaining. Why has he got splaining to do? Well, we finally, we finally finished chapter 10 of Acts. We finally finished, but just in, in quick review, remember we, we began chapter 10 with Cornelius having a vision. An angel came and said, go get this guy Peter, he's down in Joppa. He's about 30 miles south of Caesarea where Cornelius the centurion is, right on the coast. Both of them are on the coast, Caesarea is to the north and and uh, Joppa's down to the south, but if you remember too, who, who is Peter staying with in Joppa? Does anybody remember? A tanner, Simon the tanner. And remember a tanner deals with dead animals, and dead animals are unclean to the Jew. And so what in the world is Peter doing staying with a fellow that deals with dead animals? Hmm, interesting. Okay, Cornelius has his vision. Peter, he has one of his own. Cornelius sends the fellows down to Joppa, and the next day, when they're close to the tanner's house, and, and you know, what's really cool about that, is that was before GPS and MapQuest and Google Maps. How did they know right where tanner, the tanner lived, you know? But they, they were about ready to arrive at the house, and Peter has a little vision of his own. A sheet comes down from heaven, and you recall what that, that sheep represented, the sheet, not the sheep, what the sheet represented. It represents the church. And on that sheet, and it didn't, I doubt it had a little, you know, a little caption underneath it when, when Peter was seeing the vision that said the church. I don't think that happened. But anyhow, um, there were all sorts of animals on there, clean and unclean. And the message to Peter was what I have declared clean, don't you say is unclean. And Peter says, but wait, Lord. I've always kept the law. I've always obeyed this. And you want me to eat some of that? I'm not going to do it because I don't eat unclean stuff. And again, the Lord says, Peter, what I've said is clean, is clean, basically. Don't, don't discriminate. Don't say you can't have that. And so the, 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 the thought and the analogy in the church is that and you, if, you know, for later on, just write down James chapter 2 and go read that again. And even though that just talks about the, the economic status of people when they come into the church, the principle applies. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, your nationality, your ethnicity, what was unclean before. And in this case, it was the Gentiles that were unclean to the Jews because they were not Jewish. Peter, now you need to go and share the gospel with them. Guys show up, and just another sign that... that oh, and that's where we talked about in uh, chapter 10, verse 17, 
that he was perplexed, and then in 19 that he was reflecting, meditating, constant thinking about what he had seen. He, he was perplexed because he didn't fully understand it, and God is going to continue his education and bring him to that point where he understands what that sheet and all those animals meant. So he, he, he's spending time thinking about that. And there's a knock on the door. In the, in the next step, in, in Peter's growing and developing in, in, in his heart, mind, and soul to understand that, that the gospel is now to go to the Gentiles that used to be unclean, but now they're not, was that he invites these Gentiles that came down from Caesarea, two, two servants and a soldier from the centurion up there, Cornelius. He invites them into his house. A Jew was never supposed to have a Gentile in his house. But he's, he, he's getting it. All right, God's continuing to work on him and develop his thought and, and help him to learn and understand. So he invites them in. The next day he goes with them. Cornelius is waiting for them in Caesarea. Uh, verse 24, it says he's waiting for them and they called together his relative and close friends. Aside from a, a short moment where Cornelius wants to worship Peter and Peter says, stand up, don't worship me. I'm a man just like you. Verse 28, Peter says, You know yourselves it's unlawful for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without raising any objection when I was sent for. And verse Down to verse 33, Now then we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius is telling Peter, we're, we're here to hear what God has sent you to tell us. We're, we're ready, we're willing, we want to hear the message from God. So in verse 34, uh, Peter does the, the thing all preachers do. He starts by opening his mouth, and, and then he preaches. And our key in verse 36 was that he is Lord of all. He is, he is Lord of the vision. He is Lord of, of the, the, the idea that the, the gospel is now to go to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And we've already seen in chapter 8 that it went to the Samaritans. And it brought us down to, to last week, the last few verses of the chapter 43. All the prophets bear witness that through his name, just like our verse here says that there is none other name under heaven, given among men whereby we must be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. It is only in the name of Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. And then we remember that while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came right on. There was no laying on of hands. There was no water baptism. They believed the Holy Spirit came and rested on them, and that's the way it is today. Someone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and understand that it's what he did, not what we can do, but it's all about what he did for us and that we don't deserve it, but he loved us so much he gave it to us anyhow. At that moment, you'll be receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Interesting, verse 45, and I, I don't think I pointed this out last week, and I should have because it, it works into today's um, all the, verse 45, all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. If you recall uh, chapter 10, verse 23, on the next day he arose and went away with them. And some of the brethren 
from Joppa accompanied Peter when he went up to Caesarea. And, and we, we talked about that. Why was that? Well, maybe they were bodyguards, but definitely they were to be there as witnesses to, to see what the Holy Spirit was going to do and how it was going to operate when the gospel went to the Gentiles. And the one thing I don't believe I pointed out last week was that um, under Egyptian law, and, and for obvious reasons, the Jews were well aware of what Egyptian law was, that it took seven witnesses to prove your case. So let's see, we got Peter, and then we got six fellas that went from Joppa with him. Oh, that makes seven. That makes seven. Yep. Well, how do we know that there were six? We're going to cheat and skip ahead to today real quick. Chapter 11, verse 12. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings, and these six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. So we know that there was seven, so that according to Egyptian law, they could prove their case if they, these six Jewish Christians had to go back and ever testify or tell what really happened here. They had the, the legal number that they needed to prove the case. Under Roman law, which again the Jews would obviously understand because Roman law was what they're under right now. Under Roman law, seven seals are necessary to prove the authenticity of a legal document. Now, I don't know if it was the wax seal with the ring that they would put on a document and seven people would verify it, but they, they had the number seven that they needed. They understood that, that, according to civilian authorities, seven was the number of witnesses that they needed to have there. And how cool is it that God made sure that there were seven witnesses there? Just a coincidence, you know? God doesn't care about those little silly details, right? Thank goodness he does, and he took care of it. Now, in chapter 10, we had Luke writing. In chapter 11, we have Luke writing about what Peter spoke. And so the, chapter 11 is more from Peter's perspective in, in the way that he's telling his story, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, okay? Let's, let's look at the first few verses of chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, or the Jewish Christians, took issue with him, and saying, You went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. Well, aren't you just a bad little boy? You ate with the Gentiles. They're not concerned at all with the word of God going to the Gentiles. They just want to nitpick. Aren't we glad people in the church don't do that? We, we don't do that, do we? We don't nitpick on the unimportant things, do we? Reading, reading through the different commentators this week, they all had their own example of, of stupid stuff that goes on in the church. One church split because some of them thought that the piano should sit right in front of the pulpit, and others thought that it should be over by the flag. No joke, folks. No joke. And there were some other dumb ones. I, I don't even want to, you know, repeat them. They were so stupid as to why the church split. But here, all, they, they, they're, they're not praising the Lord that the word went to, to Cornelius and his household that it's up in Caesarea now. Now, we want to nitpick because you sat down with the Gentiles and ate with them. Hmm. 
I know another fellow that did that. I think his name was Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. So what are you getting your knickers in and out for, guys? He, he went to the uncircumcised and he ate with them. It's because it's what Jesus told him to do. Hello? Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them an orderly sequence. Okay, we, we've got the, the orderly sequence, but we're going to see here. Um, th- this is one of the occasions where we're reminded of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's, and it's kind of like that sheet. I don't think there was a sign underneath it, you know, that said that this sheet represents the church. And here, Peter doesn't say, okay, guys, I'm going to talk to you about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He just does it. And, it, and it's just kind of neat how it fits together, works together, and we see the Holy Trinity right here. He begins in verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain object coming down like a great sheet. Okay, I'm not going to read all this because we just read all this in, in chapter 10, right? But why, why, why does Luke tell us the whole story with a lot more detail in chapter 10, and then he reiterates through Peter's eyes and voice in chapter 11? He, he wants to make it very clear that, that chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 10 wasn't a hiccup. I mean, Peter saw the sheet three times. And it, so the Lord was trying to make it very clear to Peter so that he understood. Folks, this was a major change of direction. This was not a minor, <laughs> where are you going to put the piano? Okay? This, this was a big deal. This was a big deal that the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles. And so the Holy Spirit used Luke to continue to write it down and then write it down again and then write it down again. So that it was very clear that they understood that the, somebody didn't slip, you know, it wasn't an editing error. It wasn't a slip of the pen. That this was in fact the message that he wanted to get across. And so in, in those verses up to verse 11, we see the, the, the reiteration of the, the vision that Peter had in chapter 10. But the one I will, I'll draw your attention to verse 8. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Peter, Peter had a reputation of, of being a good Jew. He followed the letter of the law. And so he said, Lord, I don't, don't, don't make me do this. Don't, don't make me break the law. And so we see God the Father here in, in, the, in that vision. And, and the one that is communicating with Peter is that the vision came from God himself. If we pick it up in verses 12 through 15, and then we'll skip 16, we'll come back to that in seven, and read 17. Verse 12, the Spirit told me to go to them without misgivings. These six brethren that we talked, we jumped here before a few minutes ago, also went with me. We entered the man's house. 
he reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house. And, and again, he's verifying what Cornelius's vision was at the beginning of chapter 10. Send to Joppa, have Simon, who is also called, called Peter, brought here. He shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And if you just, uh, maybe on the same page in your Bible, maybe back one page, chapter 10, verse 44. He's talking about that experience there that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. But chapter 11, verse 15, I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. This is the Gentile Pentecost. He's saying that happened exactly like it did in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Exactly the way it happened to us Jews in Jerusalem, it's happening here, but to the Gentiles. Verse 17, if God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who am I that I could stand in God's way? If it's God's will to do this, Who in the world do I think I am to try to say or do something different than what God's trying to do and accomplish? Again, I'm glad we never do that. So here we have the experience uh, of seeing the part of the Trinity of the Holy Spirit and that he came down upon them in the exact same way. He came on the Gentiles the exact same way as he came down on the Jews in Jerusalem. So we have God the Father in the vision. Now we have God the Holy Spirit that that came upon them when they were listening and believing the words that Peter was preaching. Verse 16, we, we see evidence of the Savior of the, the, the witness of the word of the Lord, how we used to say, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ told his disciples that more than once. More than once that John baptizes with water, but when you believe, you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So we see the Trinity here, God the Father in the vision God, the Holy Spirit, and the preaching of the word, and, and the Holy Spirit falling on the new believers because they believed in their heart. And then in verse 16 there, the, the mention of God, the, the Son. He is the word, and you can go back to John 1 if you want to, to read a little bit more about the word being Jesus Christ, the word being with the Father even from the the beginning and even from creation. And we come to verse 18. He says, When they heard this, they became silent and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. A little bit of a turnabout from the beginning of the chapter. Hey, Pete, what you eating with the Gentiles for? To now they're understanding and realizing. And, and you know, it, it, at the end of verse 18 there it says, Well then God granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. And we go back to the beginning. Uh, there, there's the story told of a, of a preacher one time. That, that 
in his sermon, he was preaching, and he says, you know, he said, there's people all around this church going to hell, and most of you don't give a damn. And he said, the biggest problem is that most of you are concerned that I just used the word damn. You're more concerned about that than you are about those around the church that need Jesus. And that's what you got right here. They were more concerned at the beginning. They were more concerned that he'd sat down and ate with Gentiles following the law than they were about preaching to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Luke told the story and told it again and told it again. Once through his narration and then through Peter's voice and eyes in chapter 11. He he needed to get it across. It was a huge transition for them. And and we've talked many times that for the the Jews, the Sanhedrin and the, the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that made up the Sanhedrin and the different courts that they had. There was about 120 people that were, uh, or 120 judges that were judges in the court that sat in the different parts of the the hierarchy of the the religious sect in in Jerusalem. And they, all all they had done for, for centuries was to follow the law because that's what was there. So, and, and we, don't, we, we don't want to be too hard on him because we understand that there was a transition happening. It was something, it was totally new. It was something they were not used to. Turn with me real quick to John chapter 4. I would, I would love to take the time to read most of the chapter. But you know the, the, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus tells her about her life. And she said, I perceive, perceive that you are a prophet because you know everything about me. But we get, we, we get to the point where the, the woman says, Sir, okay, verse 19. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Up until this point, the worship had all gone through Jerusalem. That was the place they were to worship. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. That's the way it was for centuries, yes. Jesus says, it's changing, there's a time coming. And even, even though she didn't mention, or excuse me, even though Jesus did not mention to her, <coughs> That he, what he was going to write in the book of Acts and, and the changes that were coming ahead to look ahead, he was, he was telling her and showing her in a, in a very small picture way of what was coming. <clears throat> there were sacrifices. There were not going to be any more sacrifices. 
Some got it, some didn't. Uh, Back to Acts quickly, to Acts 6. And if you don't want to turn and just listen and just write those verses down so you can spend a little more time uh, as, as Peter did when he was perplexed, reflecting, okay, this week. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And here you go. A great number of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The, some of the priests were getting it. Not all of them did, but some of the priests... And, and we talked that um, Christ fulfilled the Christ fulfilled the law, and Christ fulfilled the temple. And some of these priests, according to Acts six seven, got it. They were understanding that there was a change; things were going to be different now. And then, if you would, to Acts twenty one twenty. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. So there, there, there were those that were understanding, but they, they didn't quite under they, they, they knew that Jesus was the Savior, and that they needed to have faith and trust in Jesus, but they were like, Well, what do we do with this thing that we've been doing for thousands of years? How, you know... Uh, you know, cutting the umbilical cord and when a baby's born, how, how do we, do, do we cut that cord or do we bring, do we drag some of it with us? Uh, what, what does this look like? How do we do it? For those who want to go deeper this week, Galatians three, twenty-six to 28. Just write that down. Galatians three, twenty-six to 28. I'm not going to turn there right now. I am going to turn to 1 Corinthians one eighteen. You can write that down too. We're just going to be there very briefly. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. These things are, are spiritually to be understood. And, you know, we talk, we talk about people in the world and the way they're acting these days. And it's like, we as Christians shouldn't expect them to act like Christians because they don't know Jesus. They're going to act in their sinful manner because they don't know any better. So we, we just, just as we're not to discriminate in the church as to uh, color of skin, color or size or lack of size of bank account or, or whatever status you want to lay any, lay any value on, we're, we're not to do that in the church. But there are those that will understand and those that will not understand. Because to some it's foolishness. They, they, will, never, they will never understand. You can, you can preach to them till you're blue in the face. You can love on them. You can share. You can live a good example in front of them. You can talk to them about Jesus. You can use words. And explain that Jesus loves them. And that they're a sinner and without Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in hell. They love to hear that. But it's true and that's what they need to hear. They need to know the truth. They need to hear the truth. Living a good life and a good example is a good thing, but that's not enough. We have to open our mouths. Just like, what did it say? Where is it? The beginning here. 
Yeah, chapter 10, verse 34. In opening his mouth, Peter said, we've got to open our mouths. We've got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to, to tell them the truth. We have to let them know, and, and as difficult as some of this transition was for the Jews, or excuse me, yeah, for the Jews, and, and then for the Gentiles to accept it, 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 was, it was a new thing for them. And so you, you have to understand, but at the same time, it is made very clear, very clear, through Peter's testimony, through the vision that God gave him, and through the preaching of the word to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles when they believed. It was very obvious, and that's why there was seven of them to be witnesses and testify as to what actually happened there, that yes, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just like it fell on us. So when they heard this, they became silent, and then they glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. We're going to find out later on that even though it sounds like they all got it and they, they wrapped it up there, later on in Acts, it, it's going to rear its ugly head again. And again, I'm glad we just never do that in the church. Bring up that stupid stuff about eating with Gentiles or where we're going to put the piano. Folks, next two weeks ahead of us are a big two weeks. We need to be praying. We need to be on our knees. We need to be praying while we're driving. Not on your knees, unless you've got a funny vehicle or something, but... We need to be praying continually, without ceasing. Please grab the two documents back there. There's two there, and there's plenty of copies right now. If you take them all, I will make a thousand more this week. We need to get the word out, and then on the on the counter, I'll put the I'll put the uh, papers and documents for the business meeting for next week, folks. They're not going to hear unless we tell them. And we know that you and I can't change people's hearts. Proverbs 21.1 The heart of the king is like the rivers of water and God turns it where he wills. Not your will, not my will, where he wills. God is the one that can change hearts. We need to plant We need to water and then get out of the way and let God work on hearts. Okay? So, open your mouths. And especially, not not that you're going to stop praying after the election. But continually in the next two weeks and two days, we need to wear God out with our prayers, begging him to help us in spite of our apathy, in spite of our lack of living for him and and sharing the word, and, and in spite of the fact that we've even allowed it to get to this point in our state and in our nation. It'll, it'll, one, if, if it passes here, oh, you know other states will snap it up and adopt it there too. And they see how damning it can be. They'll love to grab it. We need to stop it here in its tracks. We don't want other states imitating us if this passes. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you are the author of life and we have no right to take it. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to live with open mouths speaking of Jesus. Help us to live our lives meditating and reflecting on your word so that when we're squeezed, that's what comes out. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.